Father God in heaven, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence. That's why we've gathered this morning, Lord, is to worship you, to worship you in spirit and truth, to come boldly into your presence, Lord, by the blood of the Lamb. Father, do a great and mighty work this morning in our hearts and our lives, we pray. We're not here for religious formality or to go through a ritual. We're here to encounter the living God who's enthroned above. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. And uh, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're only looking at a small portion of uh, Scripture this morning. That's Hebrews chapter 10. 25, because this is a very rich and deep subject that we're looking at this morning. Every week I start off looking at the whole chapter, then sometimes I cut it down to a half a chapter, and this week I had to cut it down even more because I didn't want us to miss one nugget of truth, one powerful uh, principle I did not want us to miss. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read the passage and then I'll give some introductory remarks. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this truth. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. Help it, Lord, help this message to become real in our hearts by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Experiencing God. Experiencing God. What does that look like? What does, if somebody came to you and says, hey man, I want to experience the Lord, what would you say? What, what, what would you say? Christianity is more than just a religion. It's more than a religion or a belief. Christianity is the reality of the true and living God dwelling on the inside of you, okay? Let me repeat that. The truth of Christianity, the the reality is when you're a Christian, you have the Lord by his Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, made possible only by the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This living relationship, this experience, this encounter with God, that he, 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 well, he invites all people to come to through the cross is dynamic, it's real, life 
It's life-changing. It's life-changing. I'm going to give you a quote by uh, Henry Blackaby. How many remember that book series, uh, Experiencing God? How many of y'all went through it? That was very popular 10 or 15 years ago. But uh, Henry Blackaby says this, Many people have grown up attending church and hearing about God in their lives, but they do not have a personal, dynamic, growing relationship with God. My question for you this morning is, do you want this? Do you want to have this living, dynamic relationship with God where it goes from belief in our minds to belief in our heart and we get to experience the reality of Christ dwelling in us? What does that look like? I'm glad you asked that question if you did. Because that's what we're here to discover. Because I believe that's what the text lays out for us. So let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Calvary Chapel style, verse by verse. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, the first thing I want you to notice there in verse 19 of chapter 10 is what he begins with. He says, Therefore, brethren... Chapter 10, verse 19, is the pivot verse in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, or excuse me, verse 18, that's where we stopped last week, was theology. It was theology, it was doctrine, it was truth. Now, in verse 19, the author, the Holy Spirit, is, is shifting gears. And from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, through the rest of the book, it's application, application, application. The the author is saying, okay, now you know all these great truths that Christ has replaced the sacrifice, that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Now this is how you apply it to your life. So this is the shift right here at verse 19. And he says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And... As I lay out these elements this morning of experiencing God, I ask you this morning to please take note. Because I cannot cover each and every one of these elements exhaustively. Each one of these elements I give to you this morning, I hope that you take it home. I hope that you take it home and that you examine your heart and examine your life. And you ask the Holy Spirit, where am I at in this element of experiencing God? Because I believe we all have room for improvement. We all can move forward in our experience and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first element, I grabbed it from verse 19, there is this. The first element is we have confidence to enter his presence. That's the first element. Is, is we, have, we have a confidence within us to enter his presence. Now, That confidence, we possess it, but that confidence is not in ourselves, okay? That's very important. This confidence is not in ourselves. This confidence, according to verse 19, is by what? By the blood of Jesus. Without the blood of Jesus, for you to go into God's presence, you you and I would be struck dead by his holiness and his glory and his power. Because we come into this world as sinners, God is pure and he's perfect and he's holy. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. A sacrifice had to be made. And by that sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his blood being shed, 
we can have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the blood of Christ. It's by the blood of Jesus that you, are, you and I are made holy, okay? There's nothing in and of yourself. There's nothing you bring to the table. It's all Christ. It's all his sacrifice. And so the first element is we have this confidence that we don't have to be scared, afraid, or ashamed to enter God's presence. Why? Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can come boldly to his throne and you can enter into his presence. And he invites you in to come into this living relationship and to have confidence, not in yourselves, but in the blood of Christ. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So what does he say there in verse 20? He, what does he call this? He calls this a new, a new and living way. What is the new way? The new way, when this book was written, the new way is the cross. You see, within two years of the book of Hebrews being written, Jerusalem, the temple, and all the systems and all the sacrifices will be leveled. It's in the ruins. So there's a new way, a new way, a better way. It's the ultimate way. The cross. And it says there, it's the living way. That's important. We are alive. We are alive, and this is a, a living way. See, when you and I got, uh, when you got saved, you were brought back to life, okay? Before Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, which we'll read in just a second, says we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. We were, we were corpse. But then Christ came into our life, and he raised us. And gave us new life. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 5. And look at the words I underlined at the beginning and the, and the, the words I underlined at the very end. Because that's where he's going in this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were in darkness. You were under the influence of Satan. There was no spiritual life in you. We, that's, that's, it's called total depravity. We came into this world spiritually dead. And when Christ came into this world to die on the cross, he came to forgive us of our sins and to say, wake up, wake up, I'm bringing you back to life. Where did I, I think I left off at verse 3. I hope, I think. Uh, Among them too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of us. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. This is a living way that the Holy Spirit brings into our life by the power of the cross. Formerly, we lived in the lust of our flesh. Before I got saved, I was a slave to my sin. 
I was a slave to my sin. I, I was committed to it. I had no way of getting out of it. I was in chains. But then when Christ came on the scene and rescued me and gave me new life, he brought me back to life and he brought me out of the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. And, and I'm no longer, uh, when I came to Christ, I'm no longer under wrath, but I'm under grace. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And also, notice there in verse 20, verse 20, the very end of verse 20, he says, He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. I love this reference here that the author gives us here uh, to, to the veil. What is the significance of the veil? Do we remember what happened with the veil when Jesus died? Most of us know. It was torn in two. And might I add, from top to bottom, because God is the one that rend it. What is the significance of that, of that veil being torn to go into the holy place? The significance of that veil being torn is God's invitation to you to come into his holy presence. Not on your own accord, or not in your own confidence, but by the blood of Christ. To experience, to come into his presence. And to experience, have experiential knowledge and work of the Spirit working in your life by his resurrecting power. And this invitation goes out to all people throughout the world, but it comes only by the cross. So that's the invitation to come in to this living relationship and experience God but it comes only through one person, one and one alone. Because he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It comes through the cross. It comes through an experiential uh, experience with the Lord where you receive him as your Lord and Savior. So as we get into this now, now as we start to move here into verse 22, he, you, you're going to see all these action words. You're going to see all these words that describe an interaction between the believer and God. And that's where I got the title of my message, Experiencing God. So let's look at the second element. Uh, also, I just want to bring to your attention, as we, as, we, as we move here into verse 22, verse 22, 23, and 24 have been called by some theologians, the salad verses. The salad verses. Look at verses 22, 23, and 24. Each one of them begin with let us, let us, and let us. So, so we're going to look at the lettuce verses, the, the, the salad verses. No, actually, I'm kidding. All, everything in the Word of God is like meat. It's like meat. But it's an invitation the author is saying. Hey, guys. Hey, Hebrews. Mate, they're on the fringe of accepting Christ or going back to the old system. He's like, come on, guys, let us, let us come in and let's enter into his presence and experience God. So let's look at verse 22. I normally read a whole verse, but the rest of this passage, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grab a section at a time, and I'm going to pull the truth out of it and present it to you. Verse 22 says, let us draw near. Let us draw near. The second element is that God invites us to draw near and have experience intimate fellowship. He wants us to have, to have intimate fellowship. You know, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, 
all of our soul, all of our strength. There can be some emotions in our faith, okay? There can be some emotions where we say, Lord Jesus, I love you more than anything, and I want to draw near to you. You know, it's about following him closely and spending, you ever heard heard the phrase, spending time in his presence? We need to do that in your prayer closet, in your prayer time, where you spend time before the Lord, where it's just you and him, and you spend time in prayer, and you spend time in the word, and you know what you're doing in, in that moment? You're drawing near. You're drawing near, and you're having intimate fellowship with the Lord. He invites each and every one of us to have that intimacy, to draw near, as verse 22 says. Well, and, th- and then you could ask the question, well, Pastor David, give me some guidance here. How do I, how do I draw near? Because I just talked about, you know, being in the Word and spending time in prayer. But part of those elements is what is going on on the inside. What is going on inside your heart? And that's where he goes with the verse. Verse 22, let us draw near with a what? Sincere heart. A sincere heart. Some of your translations, some, some translators translate that word sincere as, as true. But here's the, here's the element. Here's the element. You've got to have a sincere heart. You know, your heart's got to be in the right place. My friend, you've got to have the right motives as you approach the Lord. As you approach and you want to experience him, you've got to have the right motives on the inside. Meaning, there's nothing you want more. There's nothing you want more. When you get to that place of desperation and you say, Lord Jesus, there is nothing I want more than an experience with you, than to be filled with your spirit, to be led by your spirit. That is having a sincere and true heart to the gospel. It's it's understanding that he is everything. You, you, You understand in that place of wanting to draw near that he is everything. He has it all, you have nothing, and you and you want it. I ask you this morning, where is your heart? Where where is your heart and your desire for Christ Jesus? Where is your heart at? You know, I'm a pastor. I go through seasons in my life where my passion's not all there. My heart's not all there. Why? Is it because God moved or I moved? It's because I moved. It's because I've taken things and, and placed a passion for them over a passion for Christ. And what he wants us to do is he wants our hearts to be in the right place. And he wants us to repent of placing things before him and making him first and having that sincere heart, that heart of truth that says, Lord, I want you more than anything. You know, this is not something that you're going to fix right on the moment right now. This is something that you're going to take these home and you're going to pray about and you're going to examine your heart and say, Lord, where is my heart? Do I, do, do I desire for you more than, than anything? Do, do, I, do, I, do I need you more than the air I breathe? And when you get to that place, watch out because the floodgates are going to open up because that's a, a heart of desperation. That's a heart that the Father sees and says, you know what, I'm going to fill this person. I'm going to overwhelm them with my power and my glory when they empty themselves of themselves and they, and they 
seek to fill themselves with him. So, the next item, verse 22 says, let us draw near, there's the first element, with a sincere heart, there's the second element. The third element, it says, in full assurance of what? Faith, okay? You got to have faith. You got to have faith in God to, to, to receive from God and to experience God. Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is where we'll be in two weeks, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is that thing inside of you that says, I know this is true. How do you get that kind of faith? Well, the book of Romans answers that question. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is believing God. It's, uh, faith is believing God. It's trusting God. It's loving God. And here, here's, here's what faith is. Faith is you banking your life on God. Okay? It's, 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 it's believing him, trusting him, loving him, and faith is, is, is surrendering your life in total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe God gives every man a, a measure of faith to put their trust. When they're presented with the gospel, they're, they're given a measure of faith to trust and to, and to believe. And we latch on to that and we let that faith grow inside of us by being in church, by being in the word growing in our relationship with him. We gotta have that. But you gotta have faith to experience God. You gotta have that deep down conviction that this is true. And then when you open your Bible and, <clears throat> and you come to it, you're like, this is truth. Lord, help me experience. Let this word became rhema. Let it jump off the pages of scripture and into my heart and become real and give me faith. Lord, help my unbelief. It should be our heart cry at times to give us faith because that's essential to experience God. Let's continue in verse 20. I'm reading from the NASB translation in case you're wondering. Some translations put these in different orders. But anyway, verse 22, the second half of verse 22 says, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the picture that the author has in his mind when he says the hearts are sprinkled clean, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about that tabernacle, that temple. He's, he's, he's thinking about the, the, the sprinkling of the blood over the mercy seat, over the Ark of the Covenant, where atonement was made on, uh, once a year on Yom Kippur by the high priest. And what was that, what was that for? It was for the nation of Israel's repentance and for their forgiveness of sin. Well, because they, they had to repent. The, the atonement had to take place. Well, there's no change. Repentance is still in effect today. Amen. You know, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But repentance is still part of the Christian life. It's still part, it's part of the Christian life. You know, we need to pray, and we need to ask God 
to search our hearts. And Lord, if there be any wicked way, show it to me. You know, before I was a Christian, I had no awareness of sin. I lived in it. I loved it. I wasn't a happy, I mean, I, I wasn't um, one of those who was miserable by sin. I actually loved my sin. I enjoyed my sin. It wasn't until I became a, a Christian and I became born again that all of a sudden, that was when I became aware of my sin because the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside of me and he was putting his fingers on different areas of my life. And it was after I became a Christian that I began walking out my sanctification and growing and, and him put, putting his finger on areas of my life. And what, did, what, what would I do? First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sins. As a Christian, we examine our hearts and we bring it to his throne of grace. We bring it to his throne of grace. Listen to what King David said in Psalms 139. He says um, in verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. That was Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. You get to that place in life, and you pray that prayer from an authentic, sincere heart that the earlier the verse was talking about, watch out. Watch out. Because the Lord will begin to work in our lives, and he'll begin to show us areas that we need to bring to his throne of grace. No Christian is perfect, okay? Christians still sin. They still blow it along the way. But the Holy Spirit enables and brings things to our attention that we can repent, turn away from, and be set free from when we repent. So repentance is part of experiencing God. It's a key element of um, experiencing the reality of Christ Jesus living in us. So there you have, there's, there's four um, elements of experiencing God in verse 22. Let's continue. He, he doesn't let up. He's got the pedal to the metal, and he's given us these awesome biblical truths as we continue into verse 23. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession. The next element, key to you experiencing God, is this, that I could, I could phrase this so many ways, but I'll give you two. One is we hold firmly to the Word of God. We hold firmly to the Word of God. It says, let us hold fast the confession. Let us hold firmly to what the Bible says. Also, another angle I could approach this principle when it says, let us hold fast the confession, is simply this. You need to be in the Word. And you can't wait for Sunday morning for Pastor David to give it to you. Okay? This is part of corporate worship. This is part of building up the body. But you, as an individual, need to spend time in the Word on a daily basis in order to experience the Lord, to experience His power in your life. We have to be people of the Word. That verse 23, it says, um, Let us hold fast. That phrase, hold fast there, it means to be unmoved, 
to, don't, to not let go, to fight for. What do we unmove? What do we don't let go of? What do we fight for? Everything the Bible teaches and the biblical truth of Christianity. You know, verse 23, even, even if, just take that one phrase of verse 23, let us hold fast to confession. You know, what, you know what that phrase would be good for? Write that across the front of your Bible. Just write it across the front of your Bible. And every time you look at your Bible, it says, let us hold fast the confession. Let us hold firmly to the scripture. The culture changes. The world changes. Uh, if, if, if you haven't seen any change, wait a week. It'll change. It's, it's constantly changing. But the one firm foundation is God's word. And part of you as a Christian experiencing God is that you hold fast to his word and that you spend time in his word. Let's look at the next phrase. It says, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession. Here's the phrase I'm grabbing, guys. Of our hope without wavering. Of our hope without wavering. What, what does wavering means? Uh, not, being, not, not wavering means we're not being tossed. We're not tossed to and fro by everything that's going on around us. The principle here is, is the uh, experience in God is that you have a firm commitment. You've made a decision in your mind, and you've made a decision in your heart, I'm going to follow you, Lord Jesus. And that, that, that firm commitment is solid, unmovable, unchanging, unwavering. I'm not going to be one thing one day and a different thing the next day. Lord, I'm going to serve you. That is my heart's desire. And if that is your heart's desire, and maybe you're not there yet, God will help you. The Lord will help you as you open your heart in sincerity and truth and say, Lord, help me to have this firm commitment to you. Help me to have this firm commitment to you. No, no, not, don't be half-hearted. Don't be moved by the culture. You know, we don't bow to them. You know, you have that mentality when it comes to a firm commitment. It's, it's that firm commitment that says in your heart, I don't care what comes, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Christ. I don't care what happens in my life. I don't care what happens with my family. I don't care what happens in my world. Lord Jesus, you are the one unchanging truth, and I am going to hold firmly to that commitment. Amen? Amen. This, these kind of commitments, I, I, I freely confess, these kind of commitments are hard to find these days, but they're possible. They're possible by you and I looking at those elements on the right-hand side and asking the Lord to help us grow in these areas. This is, this is solid, bro. Ladies, men, bros, ladies. This, this is solid meat. This, this is what you build your life on in becoming a follower of Christ. These are different elements that when they all come together, man, man, you are on fire. And you're on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's look at the final one. The final principle, the final element. Um, oh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. I, I missed one more. It, it says there at the end of verse 23. I, I, can't, I can't miss over a truth, pass over something that's truth in the scripture. Verse 23 ends with this. It says, for he who promised is faithful. You know, why are you Christians 
so deeply committed to Jesus? Why y'all always talking about Jesus? Why y'all always wanting to live for him and go to church and study the Bible and serve him and be a witness? Why? Because he has made a promise to us and he will see it through. At the end of verse 23, he who promised is faithful. That's why we give this commitment to him. Because we know that he will be faithful in the end to us. He has been completely faithful to you. He has been completely good to you. He's, he's, he's lavished his grace upon you, his love, his mercy, instead of wrath and judgment and hell. He's given you all this, this blessing, and he's faithful. This is what we do in response. This is how we live for him. This is how we experience him, by responding to him. Now, my final element of you experiencing the Lord, you experiencing God, is found in verses 24 and 25. And this final element, I'll give you the element up front, and then we'll study the two verses, is this. You and I get to experience God when we help other people follow Christ. Okay? When you help others come to know Christ and encourage them to follow Christ, you are joining in on God's mission. And you get to encourage them. You know, the Holy Spirit draws us. Yes. Yes and amen. The Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe. But God can use you in the equation to encourage other people to follow the Lord. And that's very important. Verse 24, verses 24 and 25 of my message this morning. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When you, my friend, experience the grace of God, when you, my friend, experience the truth of God, and you realize the freedom there is, and the joy there is, and the excitement there is, and the life-changing truth that it is, you will want to help others experience the same. You will want to spread it. You will want to pass it on. Christianity is contagious. When we see Christians living for the Lord, and we see their joy, and we see their ex excitement, despite their trials, despite their tribulations, they, they got joy in the storm, it is contagious. And we encourage other people. It says there, um, you know, we're called to encourage each other. The NASB says, let us consider how to stimulate. How to stimulate. That word stimulate means to provoke, incite, irritate. Do you hear that? Provoke, incite, irritate. Be careful, my friend. <laughs> All right? We don't want to upset people. We don't want to get them mad. But we want to poke them. We want to prod them. As I was reading this passage, it made me think about bull riders. It made me think about bull riders and how they put the, they put the bull in the pen and the uh, cowboy gets up on top. And in some cases, what they'll do to get that bull fully riled up, they'll poke him. They'll poke him, they'll spur him, and they'll get him mad. So that when they open up that gate, that bull is wide open trying to throw the cowboy off. But what are they doing? They, they're spurring the bull on so that he will go all out in this fight against the cowboy in the arena. That's what it does. And you and I are called to spur each other on to get to um, 
to love and to good deeds. You know, we, you and I, we stimulate each other, as the text says. We stimulate, stimulate each other when, one, we encourage each other. We encourage each other. We, we build each other up. We don't come to church to tear people down. We come to church to build people up, to encourage them. We, we, we stimulate each other when we challenge each other. You know, we're called to not only encourage each other, but challenge each other. Hey, brother, how are you doing in the area of your life? Hey, dude, are you spending time in the Word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are, are you exercising those, those, <coughs> excuse me, those Christian disciplines? Are, are you doing those things? We stimulate each other. You ready for this? When we love each other. When we show love to each other. When the world wants to beat people down and shame them and criticize them and throw them under the bus, we bring them in and we encourage them. We love them. And we challenge them. That's how you stimulate to love into good deeds. So we're called to push each other to love each other, and we're called to push each other to good deeds. Hey, man, won't you join me on the ministry that, that we're, taking, we're doing this weekend at the Bryan Center Nursing Home? Or why don't you help out with this ministry with serving food? You know, we want people to become an integral part of the body of Christ. And for a lot of, lot of us are just kind of scared. Like, you know, it's kind of like you go up to the edge of the pool and you want to stick your toe in the water and check the temperature before you jump in. Ah, don't do that. Sink or swim. Just dive in. Just dive in. Jump in. There's a misunderstanding. There's some misunderstandings of church today. Christians think, I will go to church when I need encouragement. We, my friend, need to change that mindset. We need to say this. I will go to church today because someone there will need the encouraging words that I have for them. You see, this goes both ways. We want to be encouraged. That's a good reason to come to church. Also, for someone at the body that you can meet on Sunday mornings, that's another reason to be in fellowship, to be in church, is because you might have the right word at the right time for the right person. And that's so critically important and are stimulating each other. Our final verse this morning, verse 25, he says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, there's coming a day, it's called the rapture of the church, when Christ will return, and all these practices will no longer be needed. Why? Because we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we will be with him in glory. But until that day comes, we need to be about fellowship. We need to be about um, assembling together, having fellowship. And, you know, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters over in California. You know, they're, they're experiencing a difficult time right now in churches with um, the government and the church meeting and people trying to shut each other down, and some can sing, some can't sing. We need to pray for our brothers that they stay strong and that they continue to gather for worship and they continue to gather for fellowship. Fellowship and gathering is so important. One of the first things I'll tell a new Christian is, is dude, 
ma'am, you've made a commitment to Christ. Now get in fellowship. Get in fellowship. There is power that takes place here within the body when we meet on Sunday mornings, when we meet on Wednesday nights. You th- sometimes, sometimes people think they're just coming, but it's so critical and important that we, you and I, that we rub shoulders, that, 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 that we're coming and being together and seeing each other face to face. That's so important that we, we worship together, that we sing together, that we, um, we get into the word together. Why? Because if we don't, there's a danger of us drying up. You, on an individual basis, drying up and falling away. Encouragement is so critically important in the life of every believer. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm going to tell you right now, I need encouragement. I need encouragement. And I know if I need encouragement, I know you guys need encouragement too. The ladies need encouragement. The men need encouragement. The students need encouragement. The children need encouragement. And coming to church and being encouraged, challenged, is very, very important. And being held accountable. Being held accountable. You know, us growing up, maturing in our faith, and doing what's right. We need fellowship. Three points I want to close with this morning as it comes to fellowship and coming together. Um, the importance of gathering on, on Sunday morning or, or, or Wednesday night or even a, um, a fellowship group in a home. You know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying just on Sunday morning. I'm saying just being part of a gathering of believers and coming together uh, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or maybe a home group Bible study. There, there, there's, uh, why do we need that? Number one, when we come together and we gather, it encourages you and propels you forward in your Christian walk. Okay? That's what it does. It's, 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 it's brothers and sisters getting behind you and saying, go follow Christ. Go serve the Lord. And you and I need that encouragement. You and I are constantly bombarded by the things of the world. Through billboards, through TV commercials, through social media. It is, it is, it is off the chain, out of control right now. <clears throat> and God's remedy to that is you and I coming to church and encouraging each other. To, to propel them forward in their walk with Christ, to remind them, I mean, that's the way of death. That's the way of sin, and we want to follow the way of Christ. So you need fellowship because it encourages you and propels you forward in your Christian walk. Second reason you need fellowship and, and you need to gather, <clears throat> it's worship. It's worship. You know, what you're doing this morning and gathering on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday morning. We don't call it the Sabbath. We call it, as the New Testament calls it, the Lord's Day. But we gather, they, just as they gathered together on Sunday morning to have worship, to break bread, have prayer, have fellowship, what you're doing this morning and what you're doing on a Wednesday night or going to a ladies' Bible study on a Monday night is it's, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It's an act of you coming to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm going to go to this place tonight because I want to worship you, and I want to be fed. You know, when we sing songs, we're doing it for worship. 
When we sing songs, we are, we are worshiping the Lord. When we're sitting together all around the table of God's word this morning, as we are now looking at Hebrews chapter 10, this is worship. This is where our hearts are open and the word of God is coming in. Third and final reason I'll close with that you need fellowship, looking at verse 25, is simply this. Or, or assembling together, why it's so important to assemble together, is you're being obedient to the word of God. You're being, you're being obedient to what God says. He says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as some in the habit are doing, but encourage one another. So there's this assembly. We come together. We encourage one another with a mission, with an end goal, which is all the more as you see the day approaching or the day coming near, which is the return of Christ. So we need that. You need that's part of your spiritual growth. These are elements I present to you this morning of experiencing God. And if you need me to email you this slide, I'll be glad to. If not, take note of these and go home. Because each one of these, man, is like a sermon. Each one of these is, is a message that we could talk about, what it means to have a sincere heart, faith, repentance, holding firmly to the word of God. But these are elements, I believe, that the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, some of your, um, your headings, at least in, in my, my translation of the Bible, it says, a new and living way. So the author is pointing these Hebrews that have been going through persecution to, hey, leave behind the sacrificial system and embrace and experience the grace of God. And he, he's inviting that for us today. These are elements of experiencing God. That, that when they all come together, some of us are very strong in some areas, some of us are very weak in other areas, but these are areas that we can grow in our experience with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for us being able to gather this morning and to freely worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you, Lord, this morning that we're able to gather for fellowship and get into your word in accordance with Hebrews uh, 10.25. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that these seeds that have been planted in the hearts, through these principles that come from this passage, that you will help each and every one of us, Lord, to grow, to grow in these areas, to grow in grace, to grow in knowledge, and help us to apply these truths to our life. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Father, I especially right now just lift up our brothers and sisters on the West Coast um, who are going through difficulties with the governing authorities and, and churches being opened and closed and singing versus no singing. Father, I pray that you give all those pastors wisdom and those leaders. Give them wisdom, Father, in how to move forward, and how to obey your word. Father, um, you, Lord Jesus, you rule over Caesar. Caesar doesn't rule over you, and we stand by that principle. So, Lord, we love you, praise you, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this morning worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.